0: chapter twenty of carpenter's geographical reader asia by frank carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b chinese farms and farming T. in our travels through interior china we often find the farmers irrigating their fields the country has highlands and lowlands and there are many irrigated regions the chinese rivers are mighty earth carriers they bring down from the mountains the richest of fertilizing materials being often so loaded with mud that they turn the bright blue of the pacific to a dirty yellow for a great distance on each side of their mouths this is especially so with the yangtze and the huang the effects of whose waters can be seen for thirty or more miles out from the coast the waters of the yangtze at certain times of the year are as thick as pea soup they are loaded with a silt Which makes the land over which it is spread very rich, and the farmers use every means possible to save it. They lift the water in tightly woven baskets to which ropes are attached and empty it into canals so that it flows over their mud-walled fields. They also scoop up the mud from the small streams and canals and use it. Many of the odd irrigating machines are worked by cattle or men. One is a rude horizontal wheel the cogs of which move in a small, upright wheel to which is attached a chain pump. As the wheels turn, the pump raises the water and empties it into a trough from where it flows to the places desired. A water buffalo drags the first wheel around and thus gives the power. Other machines are worked by men who walk up the outside of wheel-like frameworks, stepping always upward, their weight keeps the wheel moving and thus raises the water when we reflect that there are tens of thousands of men and animals working this way we can see that a great deal of irrigation goes on the chinese are a nation of farmers but their tools are rude and they have but little machinery almost every kind of labor is still done by hand the ploughs are so poor that they do little more than scratch the soil and such crops as wheat oats, and millet are weeded and hoed. Nevertheless, the soil is so rich in some places that one acre produces enough food for six persons. The farmers know the value of fertilizers, and everything is saved for the purpose. Potato peelings, the hair cut from the heads of the family, the remains of old houses, and all sorts of manure are saved to enrich the soil. We see boys and girls raking over snow, and even pulling the stubble to use in this way, or for fuel. There are but few cattle in China. The chief pasture lands are the slopes of the mountains, which cannot be employed for cultivation. We often see water buffaloes at work in the fields. They do all sorts of heavy farm labor, such as plowing, hauling, tramping out grain in threshing, and turning mills of one kind or another. These animals look somewhat like cows, having flat horns which extend almost horizontally backward from over the eyes. Their bodies are covered with a thin growth of black hair, which stands out like bristles, and they appear clumsy and awkward. In North China, the plowing is done also with ponies and donkeys. In a field near Peking, I once saw a man and a donkey hitched up side by side, dragging a plow. The sweat was rolling down the man's face, and he bent almost double as he toiled, trying to keep up with the donkey. Near him I photographed a man who had harnessed up his two sons and a daughter, and was plowing with them. He was pushing hard upon the plow handles, and the children were straining as they tried to break up the ground. When the man saw me taking his picture, he became angry. Many of the Chinese believe that photography is a magic art and that the photographer can, if he will, compel the person whose picture is taken to obey him, and may cause him all kinds of trouble. The plowman evidently believed I was dealing in witchcraft, and he tried to seize my camera to break it. I jerked it away and rushed for my donkey. He ran after me, but my Chinese servant came to my aid and held him, so that I was able to mount and make my escape. The crops raised by the Chinese are of many varieties. The land is one of several climates, and it yields almost everything grown in the United States. Large crops of rice, tobacco, and cotton are raised in the South, while wheat, millet, buckwheat, and maize are the staple grains of the North. Opium is produced by cultivating the poppy, and in the Yangtze Valley there are millions of mulberry trees whose leaves feed the silkworms. The best of the Chinese tea comes from south of the Yangtze, where it is raised in vast quantities. The tea leaves are plucked three times a year. The first picking, which consists of the tenderest leaves, is the best, and fast ocean steamers race with it to Europe, knowing that that which is first sold will bring highest of prices. Now that the Trans-Siberian Railroad has been built, much of this tea goes northward to it and thence on to Europe. At Hankow, situated on the Yangtze about seven hundred miles from its mouth, we find large steamers taking on cargoes of tea boxes and also factories in which the leaves are being prepared for the market. The tea is fired or roasted in much the same way as we saw in Japan. After firing, the leaves are picked over by women and girls who sit at tables with the tea on trays before them. Their hands move rapidly. And they show great skill in picking out the best leaves. We can see their bound feet showing below their trouser legs as they work. After grading, the tea is packed in lead-lined boxes for shipment abroad. We are interested in knowing how brick tea is made. There are many factories at Hankow, the business being largely in the hands of the Russians. In making brick tea, the leaves are ground to a powder and then steamed until mushy and soft. They are now put into molds of the size of a brick and pressed into shape. Tea of the finer varieties is made into small bricks of the color and size of the cakes of sweet chocolate sold in our confectionery stores. The brick tea is pressed so hard that it is almost impossible to scratch it with a knife, and it must be broken before it is used. It is carried on camels into the desert of Gobi and on the backs of men to Tibet where it is so much in demand that it often passes as money, each brick being worth about 15 cents. The Tibetans cook the tea with butter into a soup, like that we saw in Mongolia. Among other centers for the shipping of tea are Shanghai, Hangchow, Canton, and Fuchow, the exports being several hundred million pounds every year. Much of the product is used by the Chinese themselves, A great deal goes to Great Britain and Russia and also to the United States, the amount we annually receive being some millions of pounds. Another important plant found in all parts of South China is the bamboo, which grows to a height of from 40 to 80 feet, having a hollow stem with joints here and there. We all know it in our cane fishing poles. The bamboo belongs to the grass family. It grows wild in thickets, and it is also set out in plantations. At the start, it looks much like grass, but it rapidly grows taller and thicker until certain varieties reach the height of a six-story house, and at the base, the thickness of a telegraph pole. Some kinds will shoot up several feet in one night. There are two or three score varieties of bamboo, some green, some purple, and some yellow or black. The bamboo is almost as important to China as iron is to us it forms the roofs and walls of some of the houses and also the pipes through which the water is carried it is used for making chairs and beds and all kinds of furniture it is employed for buckets and cups and even spittoons its splints are woven into baskets and matting and they form a framework for umbrellas lanterns and fans which are covered with paper it is woven into hats to ward off the rain or sun and of its leaves a raincoat is made. It is the old man's staff, the blind beggar's stick, the rake of the farmer, the foot rule of the carpenter, and the pen of the scholar. It is the pillow of the women at night, and their comb when they rise. Ground into a fiber and soaked, it forms a pulp, from which the Chinese make paper, and it is also employed for ink wells and vases. The tender shoots are dug up and cooked as a vegetable." and the seeds are ground to a flower. It is also used to make medicine, the green buds and coating inside the stems being employed for this purpose. End of chapter 20